Welcome to Soundstage Insider, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the film and television industry. We're bringing you the visionary directors and producers, the talented cinematographers, editors, sound designers, and more who really make the magic happen. So let's go beyond the red carpet and discover a fascinating world of behind-the-scenes talent. Hello there, welcome back to the Soundstage Insider podcast. My name's Jamie, and today we are talking about the Apple original film, Napoleon. Now, Napoleon is a stunning film. If you haven't seen it, I would definitely recommend it. It's visually so stimulating. The story is wonderful, the acting's incredible, directed, of course, by the legendary Ridley Scott. And I really wanted to speak to the visual effects artists and special effects artists in this movie because it is so visually striking. So today we're talking to Charlie Henley, Luke Ewan Martin Fenelay, Simone Coco, and Neil Corbold. Now, Charlie, Luke, and Simone work in visual effects, so the computer-generated stuff, and Neil works in special effects, so anything in-camera, practical effects, explosions, musket fire, you know, you name it. And between them, they really paint an amazing picture, (laughs) as you'd expect, of the visual production of this extraordinary film. So I'm not going to waffle on any further. I want to dive into this world because it's fascinating. And thank you for listening. And here's our chat with Charlie, Luke, Simone and Neil from the Apple film Napoleon. I was really excited to speak to you guys. I've spoken to a few VFX people before. Um, I loved Napoleon. I thought it was visually gorgeous to look at and you've done some incredible work on it. Um, So we're going to dive into that uh, when we get into it. But before we get there, I'd like to find out a bit more about each of you. And perhaps if you don't mind, if we can go around the room and do a little intro and then our listeners can hear your voices and your names and then get a placement of who you are. Hi, yeah, I'm. my name's Charlie Henley. I'm VFX supervisor for the show, overall soup. And I've been working in the industry about 20-something years and, you know, working through the ranks, really. That's me. I'm Neil Corbold. I'm the special effects supervisor. I've uh, been in the industry 46 years. First movie, Superman the movie. And I, I was in charge of all the practical on-set effects. Very cool. I'm Simona Coco, visual effects supervisor from uh, ILM. Um, we, I've been in the business probably about 15 years, not as much as now, Charlie. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we we work and um, yeah, work on that Battle of Austerlitz and uh, the March to Moscow sequences. I am Luke here and Martin Fenier. Um, I've been in the industry a bit like Simone for 15 years. I work for MPC and uh, an MPC focused on. Um, on the Tuileries, Moscow, and the Battle of Waterloo. Very cool. So, as I mentioned at the start, uh, this is a podcast for all different kinds of industries. So, perhaps to kick off, could you, this is kind of a softball to uh, ease you into it, <laughs> um, could you define what a VFX artist is and what you guys do? I know it's super basic, but we'll start from there. I'd say the main way that I, I talk about VFX is just that we basically look at a film with a director, with a with a production company, and it's anything that cannot be directly or simply filmed for real, then it's over to us to figure out 
how are we going to do it? That's really the visual effects side of it. Um, so it could be practical solutions of some sort, but you know, um, mixing, but generally VFX starts with the mixing of different images, um, right. which could, you know, originate would have been like optical, like you shoot two different things and somehow you blend them together. And obviously it's evolved a long way from that. So there's, there's a, a lot of it is working with computers, but it's, it's a mix of, it could be generating things in computers or it could be mixing different photography. Mm-hmm. But then we have special effects sort of part of the whole thing, which probably has been around even longer, you know, just doing the general magic of like trickery of making things look real or making things that, you know, are not easy to to be totally practical. But, um, you know, Neil can talk to that a bit maybe. Yeah, the, the special practical effects is basically anything in camera. So, you know, like, like Charlie said, we read the script and we figure out what we can do you know, for real in camera. Um, and then, you know, uh, you know, regards to battle sequences, you know, with restrictions on budgets these days, you, you can't have like 2,000, 3,000 extras anymore. Yeah. In the old days you could, but, you know, and, and explosions and, you know, so we take care of all the sort of mid-ground, foreground explosions and the, a certain number that we can produce. And then uh, Charlie and his wizard, uh, his wizardry team take over and, and just make it the grander scale that it needs to be. Do you find that there are trends towards more VFX and then shifting more towards special effects, or is there a general trend from one direction to another, or does or does it just depend gig to gig? Um, I think over over the years it's sort of changed. You know, there was a period where everyone wanted to do everything visual visual effects. Uh, CG and all this, you know, in the early Star, not the early Star Wars, but the, you know, the next generation of Star Wars was all green screens, you know, very little practical effects. But as as times moved on, especially probably in the last five or eight years, it's you know that they're trying to, you know, directors are trying to shoot more in camera as they can to a certain extent, and then obviously, you know, we're always going to use visual effects in a huge way. But, you know, I think doing it practically in some ways helps actors' performances uh, and gives the, the director a, a sort of idea of where he wants to go and, and also the feel of the movie, you know, the, the look of the movie. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Simone, actually, I spoke to Mo and Leo a couple of months ago from ILM. I don't know if you know him. But interestingly, I think from my perspective, when we talk about VFX, we think of as a layperson, I think of sci-fi and fantasy and things like that, but don't necessarily so much think historical epic. <laughs> but can you talk about some of the work you do in a genre like Napoleon, where it's not quite so obvious that you're not flying through space, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, we did the work on the Battle of Asterlitz. That is the biggest of the sequence that uh, we worked on. And uh, because it was shot in uh, three different locations, uh, we need to find a way to match all these locations together. So what we did, we, rec- we recreate based on the location, based on the scanning from Charlie and the team that they did on set, on each set. We take all those locations, all those scanning, and recreate this massive environment. So we had the, the um, set and station with mountains, snow, a tree. We recreated the whole world, really. Then obviously all shots were, most of the shots were done in on camera. But then obviously we extend what was behind it. We extend the villages. We extend the um, 
kind of lying and all that kind of stuff. That's really was our main point. And then we create obviously the the army. That was a big. Uh, that was one of the biggest uh, assets that we uh, we invested into it because, you know, they shot. They had about I can't remember how many five hundred six hundred people on set and horses as well. Right. But they need to create something that is 30,000 people were supposed to be on certain camera point of view, you know, wide shot. And so we we spend a lot of time on creating as well those. Yeah, I, I heard somewhere that you you guys made twenty thousand horses or something yeah. like that. Are you sick of horses by this point? Or like... <laughs> no, sick of horses. <laughs> we, um, Charlie and the team, they scan lots of they, they scan all the um, all the actors that were on set. So we had a lot of different variations. So we ingested all those scans, and then on top of that, we as well added uh, more accessories. So we could just mix and match. We could pick them up, and we could create. Uh, uh, we could generate like more over than sixty-three thousand uh, horses and sold the variation. So the old sold there and all horses, they're all different from each other, even a small amount, but they're all different. Right. So it's Luke Ewan, right? Is that did I pronounce that correctly? Okay, great. Yeah, um, you can call me Luke. That's that's fine. Can you give us a, a rough idea of how it practically works when you're working with these vast numbers of soldiers or you know horses or whatever you're not individually animating them right or how, how does it work it's it's called crowd simulation so the um the idea is that we have a selection of mo- mo- motion capture or performance capture clips that we record we use the imaginarium studio charlie shot there for an entire week capturing a full range of motions of what soldier could be performing on the battlefield whether it's just reloading the muskets shooting, marching, or standing at, at attention. Once you have all these motions, it's defined a number of agents you need on the battlefield. So if you have a battle of 20,000 people or 60,000 people, then the software would pick what kind of motion you want to apply and then randomize the motion and timing of them so it looks like a natural thing that everyone has a slightly different way of walking or running or fighting. but. The, the gist of it is breaking down all the motions you need. I think that was the key of of starting, you know, analyzing the footage. As Simone said, because on set we had this amazing number of extras that were performing always on camera what the action for the shot needed to be. Then we had this wonderful reference of then what we need to execute when we extending those armies. So it's analyzing the footage of what was shot to be able to reproduce it afterwards. And does... AI play a role in any of this? I know this is a sort of emerging technology or is, no, <laughs> people are shaking their no. heads. <laughs> <laughs> is that something you're steering away from? Is that something you're embracing? You know, it's sort of affecting everyone in the creative industries right now. Is where, where do you, How do you see that being involved moving forward, Charlie? Well, we did. I mean, the previous guys say that they used a bit of AI. I mean, <laughs> It's like what, how, where you define AI is, you know, it's not that necessarily that clear. It's like, but it's a kind of whether it's actually like machine learning or applying some type of intelligence to the software in theory. They did something because where the they just like set off a load, like a load of digital soldiers, and if they hit objects, they would behave in a certain way, and then they'd avoid each other and stuff like this, which. In the end, it was you know you could say that was some sort of AI to it, kind but, of like uh, NPCs in video games or something like that. You know, yeah, way. it's basically taken from that. You know, so it's like it's using video game technology for that. 
Right. But that was, we, I don't think that that kind of thing turned out. They kept doing the wrong thing the whole time anyway. It was just like pre-vids, you know, but they're just like. <laughs> they're just running shoot. against a wall like this. They're just like, you know, see the wall running against the wall, like shoot the wrong guy, you know, it's like got out of control. So I think <laughs> when you really need to, you know, be very specific, it becomes a bit trickier. And it's a kind of a thing with a lot of AI at the moment, like this sort of um, image generation. I'm not really an, an expert in it, but. But the inner image generate, generative AI is like obviously amazingly powerful. But the, one of the problems with it, or at least what difficult thing with our work, is that we have this process of constantly tweaking, changing, having new ideas, editing whatever we do. We, you start with something, and then you show the director, and you start, and there's a little note, just tweak it a bit. And the the AI kind of uh, interface does not, it, you know, you tweak it a bit and then you get another result completely different. Yeah. It does, it's getting that side of things in there makes it a bit difficult on the one hand. I think though there is, the, you know, there's probably going to be stuff with the basic work coming in first, like a lot of the, the labor intensive work, rotoscoping or figuring out tracking. I mean, obviously it is being used in some sort of face replacement stuff, but I don't know where it's going to go. Reflect but... our side whatsoever AI. Yeah, no, you. Right. <laughs> uh, the day You're AI safe. can let off an explosion or put smoke into a shot, I suppose it can. Not practically. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, it's the robot. Apparently, the hardest thing is to get a, a robot to actually like pick up a pack of cards that's fallen on the floor and sort it out. So, oh, right. <laughs> you know, that's like yeah, actual physical things. It's well, it's funny, off. isn't it? Like I saw something online recently that said, you know, why are we why are we trying to get the robots to do all the fun stuff? Why don't we just get them yeah. to do all the boring stuff? You know. That's it, yeah. Um. So let's get back to the human side of this. It strikes me that a lot of this work, you know, practical or you know, computer based as well, is a blend of the creative and the technical. And I'd love to sort of dive into the that split brained side of what what it is that you guys do. So, yeah, could you talk about that? Because I think it's pretty interesting to me that you have to have both of those qualities in, in the work that you perhaps, Neil, you could kick off with the practical side. Yeah, but, you know, when, when we start a project, especially like Napoleon, you know, you start off with a script and, you know, have, you're a director like Ridley who's very hands-on, very practical. And, you know, and, and he puts his, his vision across to us. And, you know, it's down to us really to say, you know, we can do this practically, but we can only do it this big, you know, the rest of it has to be, you know, you know, it has to be CG. And it's, and it's a very, you know, as Charlie was, would say as well, it's, it's, you know, it's very, the planning stages are very important to get the scale of the movie, what can be done in camera and what can't, because we could be wasting our time if we try and do too much practical effects, because a lot of practical effects take a lot of time to prepare. So it's that balance between we have a very tight schedule. Ridley is a very quick shooter. You know, he doesn't, you know, he's always under schedule. You know, he never, he's never gone over schedule as far as I remember working with. And, uh, you know, it, it's all in the planning and figuring out who's doing what. And are you in communication with the computer guys to sort of collaborate? Yeah, me and Charlie, we, yeah. we, yeah, we, we, we used to talk daily almost, you know, especially in the planning stages you know there's lots of emails going backwards and forwards and you know what can you get you know charlie so what can you give us and i'd send off a a, a tech viz that we do you know and say well, look we can do this for the horse and 
it just you know it gives everyone a heads up before you know before we actually shoot the thing yeah and so from the visual effects standpoint luke how does how does that work for you with with the creative side meets the technical and obviously ridley gives you a a brief and then you have to interpret that and create something and send it back well really it's very specific because it's doing all the storyboards and all these drawings and yeah it's got an ex- very specific vision of what the shots would look like so creatively we always have something to aim to it's like the, the visual bible of what the shot is the composition of the shot is going to be like at the end and um, and on top of that after he's shot some some scenes he would literally paint over his shot frames that would be printed and he would just do some doodles on top of it literally paint and mm. then charlie would get that scan sent to us and that would give us the opportunity to rebrief the shot after it's shot and have a vision of a drawing of what the end product needs to be like. And we're having fun trying to compare and always going back with Charlie and and the initial drawing would be like, okay, we're still we're still in a ballpark. It's still looking like the original drawing. And and sometimes you have to skew reality because of, of course sometimes the perspective would be not be matching or the lens would not be exactly what it needs to be. And that's where the artistic side has to as to tweak what was shot to kind of fit the vision of Ridley, the original vision. The technical side is, it, I mean, computers is just a tool at the end. And, you know, it's, we, we use it to achieve a visual at the end of the day. So yeah, the, the split between artistic and technical, it's, um, I'll say that the technical something that is the problem solving, right? Like yeah. the part of the job, a big part of the job on all for all of us and is really problem solving. And I think most of us probably like that, <laughs> that aspect, right? And it could be creatively trying to come, you know, because really might draw something, but it's like, okay, how are we actually going to get that to look photo real, mm-hmm. to be convincing for an audience? And there's always like so many different ways to do it, which is part of like with what, we'll you know working with neil it's like well okay we couldn't do it you could fire all the cannons with real smoke and muzzle flashes but then we'd have to have no one in front of them and so let's we'll make a compromise there we'll do that bit you do this bit it's that kind of to and fro but then it's just finding like the best most practical method and there's presumably the historical accuracy too right you've got to make sure that you know all that side's taken care of as well yeah, well, keeping an eye on that, not to step over the line, you know. <laughs> well, that's creative versus, uh, you know, a document right. as well. So there is like, where's well, the creative license? Which right. is something we're all treading the whole time and, and you know, referencing Ridley's idea of what that should be. But we had advisors, you know, historical advisors, of course, to like keep it on track. So what? So what is that line then? I mean, it's it's entertainment at the end of the day, right? I mean, you, the vast majority of the audience is not going to be a historical <laughs> expert. So do you skew it towards what is more entertaining versus legitimately accurate every single time? Um, I think it's also just like what's the story? You know, that moment emotionally as well. Yeah. Um, you know, what's the emotional importance of what's going on may not be totally accurate but you can kind of see that in all the battle scenes they're so like each one has got its own look between being really in the snow and the other ones like at night with lots of fires and then you've got like the weather of waterloo i mean they're all re- related to the to reality but we're kind of pushing those looks to for their own um for the emotional content. 
we, we cheated the the cannonball hits quite a lot at Waterloo because you know from that distance, the cannonball you wouldn't even see a cannonball impact. So we we had high right. explosives blowing dirt up, you know, 60, 70 feet up in the air, just so you see it or else it'd look boring otherwise. So we sort of cheat the sort of scale of stuff. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's all made. Yeah, it's you know, true. And, and nobody will ever question it. Nobody no. will ever say, well, that, that's, I mean, one of, that's telling the story, right? The story telling in the, the end, story. I guess, is probably paramount. I mean, this is really, Ridley will say what, you know, have his angle on it. But I mean, funnily enough, the, that's true with the cannonballs, but the, the the truth with the with the muskets is that they generated so much smoke that you couldn't actually see anything. So they would feel <laughs> that we we studied it, and it's like, and you do get some, you know, you it, they just create masses of smoke, and no one can fucking see what's going. Excuse me, like, <laughs> no one can see what's going on. So we were like, we'll tone that down. We're like, we love all the the flint flashes and the musket smoke, but. We don't want to like smoke it up so much that you can't see what's going on. Just as you were speaking there, I had a flashback to the movie. Um, and one of the more dr- dramatic or uh, gory moments was the horse impact. Any of you guys in charge of that or responsible for that? I have any thoughts about that because it was quite a shocking thing. It was, took me off guard a little bit when I watched it. I'm not going to lie. I think it, everyone was, took everyone off guard when we saw Ridley's drawings at what was right really? there. <laughs> what, really? Yeah, and Not it's like, horse. You know, then he gets covered in horse blood for the whole battle. It's so, <laughs> really intense. That, um, that, was one of, that was one of those shots that he mentioned very early on, and yeah. you know, it was how you know how do we do this? How do we do this? I I said, well, look, you know, we can do a bit of practical. You know, we can do like a an, an animatronic horse on a track, and we can do this. But it was one of those things. It was in one minute, and then it was out the next minute. But it went right to. It was one of the last things we shot on the movie, so we had to prepare it. But it was one of those: Are we going to do it? Are we not going to do it? And then all of a sudden, like a week before, yes, we're going to do it. And then it was a mad scramble <laughs> to try and, you know, finish it off because it, it was never quite. We never really rehearsed it before we shot it. You know, we. we, we so was it practical then? There were some parts of it were practical. So we right. had the top half of the horse, the, the neck and the back, and, and we had no legs on it. But it was sort of it, it. It moved in. The guy could puppeteer it, and then we had a big sort of explosive charge in the front, which was there. Which again, we couldn't do time after time. So we did one, one or two takes of it, and then we handed it over to these fantastic visual effects people. Yeah, well, it was very effective. Luke could be red. There's just a bit of that. Yeah. So yeah, we had this amazing animatronic that was behaving beautifully i mean the the neck muscle and the chest cavity was really gory so we tried to keep as many of those elements as we could for for the final images we knew you had to do the legs anyways but in the end we tried to reuse as much of the neck and the head because you had all those lovely details almost for free because we were taking camera and you know a little bit of blood cut into the, the fur of the horse i mean there was a lot of really really good things that would be really hard to do for us so uh we used as much of that as we can and even the um the stunt of Napoleon on the horse, we keep, we kept him as well. And yeah, I mean, I remember briefing the team before we get we got the fir- the first the first shots, and everyone was kind of stunned and couldn't believe we were going to do this on the show. <laughs> and then after the initial shock, they got excited. They were like, "Also, oh, when is this shot coming?" <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a standout moment, that's for sure. <laughs> so, Simone, I'd like to come to you and talk about just in general. When you're dealing with this day to day, presumably you're very, very focused on the minutiae. 
Do you still have to retain that sense of the bigger picture and how it fits, how all these little mi micro moments that you're working on fit in the bigger sense of the of the movie? And does that play a part in your process? Yeah, always looking at the big picture, you know, but you need to look as well. You know, as we, as I mentioned before, when we create the armies, we have to make sure that the soldier was looking exactly the same with all the details apply the simulation on the clothes, hair and stuff to make sure that they move, they act, they look the same as the one on the plate. Because when you compare one to one, some of the cases, they were literally the CG, so they were next to the to the real one. So in a way, yeah, the big picture is, is we always look at that final, you know, the old sequence together and people really let's look at the small details and make sure that everything looks as realistic as possible. Yeah. And then when you when you're... Obviously, you're sending things back and you're getting feedback from Ridley. Did you ever get anything back? And he was, nope, totally wrong. Scrap it. Start again. <laughs> Is that how it well, works? <laughs> no, because as Luke mentioned before, he always give us some uh, drawing. Charlie always passed us some, you know, he shot and then he draw on top of the frame, frame and give it to us. And then we just try to match, uh, to match as much as possible as what he asked for. So luckily enough, we never had uh, anything that he says not to, really. Oh, he was good. always always very happy with uh, with everything that we pass on. And we were making sure that when we would present something, it wasn't just a, a great scale of soldier running, you know. We always tried to present it in a, in a form that it was, there was a little bit of composition on it. So there was a little bit of uh, lens distortion, camera, you know, the lens artifact on top of it proper, you know, everything that it looks a little bit better than just a, a, a concert work, let's say. They was right. always happy to see that at that level. Did you guys know each other before? I, I know a bunch of you worked with Ridley before, right? Yeah. You we and Neil have worked together. We, we've both worked on Ridley films. Right, so he, he has faith in you, and he's trust. He's worked with you before, so he knows that you can. You're doing the job. Seems like. <laughs> well, he's hiring you. He, so he keeps good. asking us back. So that's yeah. a good. <laughs> that's good. But it does help over the time, of course, because you get to know what he really likes, and then you get in a rhythm. And it's like with any director, it's like, what's the way that they, you know, what's the best way to present the work with them? Yeah. One thing I've noticed with Ridley, he's, he's got a bit of a photographic memories. And also, if you, his storyboards, as they mentioned before, he, he, the detail he puts into those storyboards. So if there's a little dog in the corner of the, the storyboard, he wants a dog on the set. If he, if he draws seven, eight cannons, he wants seven, eight cannons there. There's no, yeah. it's like, have you not read the story? But did you not look at the storyboards? <laughs> There's a dog. There's a dog in the corner. <laughs> Sometimes we ended up adding the dog later because yeah, exactly. <laughs> we added a lot of dogs and a lot of birds, so a lot of animals. <laughs> so it's a blessing and a curse, really, working with someone who who has got such a defined vision, right? Because you know, you know where you stand, you know what is expected of you. But then, does that leave you enough flexibility, enough creativity on your own, or? Yeah, for me, for me, I mean, you know, mm. I wish every director was like that. To be honest with yeah. you, you know exactly where you stand. You know, I, I always still cover myself with other options that I think he might like. And but no, I'd much rather him be like that. You know, because at the end of the day, he hires us to be creative as well. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, totally. 
there's a big, you know, there's a big re- mutual respect there. It's not. I mean, it's sounding a bit like okay, he's he's done the blueprint and it's just copy it. But there is actually so much more that goes into that. You know, yeah. later when it becomes something photoreal, and everybody, you know, has an idea that gets pitched, and he's, you know, but on the other side, he's great about just saying whether he loves something or doesn't. It's not debatable. You know, if he sees something new, he'll go for it if it's great. So mm-hmm. I would say there's there's a lot of creative room. Um, in the process for you know everyone involved as well yeah and the surefire way to sort of jam something up is to have everything sort of decided by committee right so it's nice to have one person with a vision absolutely yeah yeah another scene that jumped out to me was the the burning of moscow i thought that was stunning to look at can you talk us through how that came about who if if any of you guys worked on that and because it was yeah visually striking uh well we he worked on that, but originally, and just initially, I was kicking off. But he really had it in. It was been. It was in the script. It's a historical event, really. And and Arthur Max, the production designer, found some amazing paintings of 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 it. And so that was really the key. Again, we went from for paintings almost more than drawings on this one, mm. uh, which at that period, you know, eighteenth century paintings are really high quality. I mean, it's quite amazing, and some of them pretty realistic and then we basically designed it around well we the big thing was getting the lighting right so Darius's team set up these big huge lights to represent the fire you know in the background which which ended up probably meaning a bit more cleanup but we did get good lighting on the character and then yeah there was a lot of road to turn clean up in the show that was another aspect mm-hmm. but then Luke took over the, you know and kind of built the whole uh, Moscow really we shot it oh, in wow. a in on um, location, Lenin Palace in England, actually. And oh. then we changed the whole palace to be the Kremlin, keeping some of the buildings and the ground and the doors and stuff, But and then built the Kremlin in the background, right, and then burnt it. So, Luke, you want to? Everything you said, there's nothing much else to say. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, no. Uh, the... You built it. <laughs> Didn't you do that? <laughs> for, the, uh, for the burning of Moscow, so we had the plate for the foreground with uh, all the people sort of coming out of the tents in the middle of the night and seeing the entire city burn. The, uh, the, the Based on the paintings, based on a lot of paintings, some etchings from the time, we recreated a bunch of buildings that would have the style of Mo- Moscow from the period. And then it would be sort of mocking up where the main fires would be first. We would use the, the lights that were on the set to sort of have the, the fire matching where the lights was coming from. So there would not be any like rim lights that would wouldn't come from the right position. And then based on that, we would set dress the main fires and using this large cutting the smoke to sort of create some almost silhouettes of buildings instead of showing up all the details and uh, and then set dressing smaller, smaller fires. So we went really from like the build, big building blocks to the massive flames and then we would get into details and details and details until Charlie was happy with it. Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was stunning. I'm interested from a practical standpoint for the visual effects guys. Do you ever go on set when filming to get a sense of what it's going to be like later? Simone, perhaps you could talk about that? Yeah, yeah. I was there for uh, a part of the Battle of Astolitz. I think it's very important to go and see, you know, what's going on, what's the set, what it looks like, what needs to be done, what's, what's after, what, you know, everything that they shot, I think is, is, is one very part of the job. 
Um, yeah. And being there with Charlie as there, discuss the thing that is going in his mind, everything that is, is really is got there to say, I think is very important for later to see. Um, and later as well, help the team that has not been there and doesn't know why it's, it's there. So it's helping them to to understand what's going on really in the sequence. I think it's very important. And then when you guys are working on the actual shots, this is kind of a dumb question, I guess, but are you working remotely on, at home? Do you go in, what, what is the practical day-to-day of your guys' life when you're working on a movie like this? For me, well, we usually go to the office um, two or three times a week. So just to be two days, I think it's quite important to just spend time with the team and, you know, working together to come up with some ideas. It's always better to be in a room together with people. And then uh, the other couple of days, we're just working from more remotely. Usually right. that that was uh, our our pure. and then at the end of the of the delivery when we get to delivery we were going there every city every day just because you got the screening you can watch things in the big screen so it's uh, it's quite important there as well yeah and and uh, Neil presumably you are obviously you're you're part of the filming process so when is your first involvement strategizing what it is that you're going to be doing what shots when and how you're going to integrate. Are you early in the process working with Ridley in a, yeah. in a film like this? Yeah, no, very, very early on. I'm normally, sort of, yeah, you get a production designer, visual effects, and then and then myself and costume come on straight after. Right. Yeah, the, the, you know, Ridley's planning. You know, he, he knows that the planning is so important, um, so he gets his key people in as soon as possible to to sort of go over it, and then and then he can go off. For, you know, go back to doing editing his previous movie. Why we, you know, we get our heads together, figure out, uh, you know, the next stage of it, and then he comes back and we present our findings to him, and then he either likes them or or he gives us more notes. And what's your relationship with, like, for example, like a production designer? Yeah, I mean, with 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 Arthur, you know, I've worked with him for quite a few movies now, so we, he has great, you know, we have a very good relationship. I sort of know, you know, I know what to do and what not to do. You know, <laughs> I know what upsets him <laughs> and uh, I'd steer clear of that. Uh, but yeah, Arthur's a very talented designer, no, certainly knows his stuff. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it makes my life a lot easier, you know, because he gives us so much information and like Charlie says, reference paintings and drawings. And, you know, he has a very tight art department work for him so uh you know it's always a great pleasure to work with him well we've only got a few minutes left um so perhaps if you wouldn't mind i'd like to go around the room and ask what is the favorite part of your job and what is your least favorite part of your job (laughs) and that's a slightly controversial question but i always find this quite illuminating i like all of it i like the fact that keeps changing yeah i like it because you're collaborating with people, with a lot of people. You get to meet new people, and it's always different. It's like no one day is hardly the same as another one. That's probably what I like most about it. But what I like least about it is when I watch it after it's all done, and then I go, "Oh, that shot didn't <laughs> work so well in the end." I don't know why. I don't know why that got through. <laughs> didn't have many any of those on this film. But in the past, there was more and more, and it was like, "Oh God." It's watching it, you know, after it's all done, and no, uh, you can't change anything. <laughs> Do you ever find yourself flicking through the channels and seeing something you worked on, and watch it for a bit, and be like, "Oh god, uh, turn it off." Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's hard to see it. You know, this one. It's, it's, I've enjoyed watching this film. I have to say. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, Luke, what about you? 
I think problem solving and making pretty pictures is still the big motivation for me. Like the collaboration, as Charlie said, is is really incredible. It's the reason why I wouldn't be doing that on my own, you know, in my cave. I like I like to talk to people and exchange ideas and and having people come up with different solutions that they wouldn't have imagined. So that's the cool part of movie making. The the downside is um, I'm not sure. There's lots of things I like. Uh, I have to stay politically correct about this. <laughs> um, I'm not much sure I can say. Uh, no, I'll be the, sending uh, this to Ridley when we're done. So, thanks. No, I think um, maybe the um, sometimes the, the lack of decisions, which really didn't happen on this movie at all, but sometimes things even visually could spin into directions that in the end or going a bit nowhere and you go back to the beginning and, and think, oh, maybe version two was better. So yeah, this is the, uh, this is a reality. It happens on, on every shoot to some extent, but yeah, this is a bit, a bit heartbreaking when you think, oh, maybe the, the, the entire process could have been a bit shorter. All right. What about you, Neil? Um, I think the thing I love about, especially this movie is that watching it for the first time and seeing the integration between the art, the visual effects and the special effects and not being taken out of the story yeah. because it's so seamless. And, you know, you know, I never once thought about what, what we did. It, you know, my, my brain was always within the story, even though I worked on it, you know, it was like, I never sort of questioned any of it. I wasn't looking for what errors, if you like, it kept me compelled. Um, that's what I love most about this movie. Just on that real quick, did it match your expectation or did it exceed it or did you know I what it was going to be like? It. No, it because, yeah. you know, we sh like, especially Austerlitz, I just thought that was one of those scenes that could have completely gone wrong mm. or looked shit, but it, it was seamless, you know, yeah. and, and even I was going, I don't remember shooting that. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> So that, yeah, so that was, you know, and it, and it just kept going, Waterloo again, you know, it's just, you know, I know what we did on the day and, and, and to see it in its entirety, the big wide shots, you know, cause we were always in pretty close and, and it was on the playback, it was pretty spectacular then, but then to see the big wide shots as well, it just, for me, I didn't question any of it, you know, mm. it, it was great. Um, the worst, the worst thing, I don't know, I suppose the worst thing was that the movie finished and that we yeah. had another job. Not early mornings or anything like that, or bad. No, I don't mind or... early mornings. Oh, okay, <laughs> I got two young children, so all right, um, it's fine. Used to it, and you're not being paid for that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, Simone, what about you? My favorite part is well, there's many. I think working uh, with such talented people and artists that I work with, I think it does my job and some other people's job very easy. And then, and then it's, it's, it's always, as Charlie say, it's always, there's every day is different. Every job as well, every movie that we make of them, I always make, it's always something different. So it's, you know, it's, it's exciting. It's always something new to do or something new to love. Yeah. That, that, that is quite, that's where part I loved it. Um, the downside is the, as probably the bidding, the bidding part and the night shoot. Bidding oh, yeah. part and night shoot, they're the worst. <laughs> And just to wrap things up, we get a lot of people who are interested in getting into the film and TV world. So I'd love to get your, actually, we'll do it again. We'll go around the room 
any advice that you have for those at either early stage of their career or maybe before they've gone to university, what your advice would be to them as to maybe what they should put their efforts into or what would be good steps for them to get into this industry? So perhaps, Charlie, you could kick things off again if, if you have something. Um, I think, I mean, it's not a have to, but one thing is just try and do some stuff yourself for your own fun. You know, maybe get friends together and try making something. The people that seem to stand out, the young people coming in have often done something like that. Like they've generated their own passion for something, a detail within it. You know, if it's digital effect stuff, they're just like got into creating something on their own back, maybe not at college, but they're just what they're really excited about. And they have that piece of work to kind of start it off. Yeah. Um, you know, that's uh, a thought. Yeah, I love that. And and these days, the barrier to entry for doing some of that stuff is much lower, right? Tools are there, you know. You can get a camera, you can do it on your iPhone, film, shoot something, and then go and play around. But just to, like, actually make sure, you, you know, like, try practicing. And you mentioned that about, you know, maybe not going to college. Do you, do you need to go to college to get into this? Is it a prerequisite? I wouldn't say um, so. Uh, not I don't know, so. wasn't <laughs> no. at all. So um, yeah, and now we have lots of softwares that are accessible. Like you have Blender, everything. Like you can do that. All of this stuff for free, and the internet is filled with tutorials and amazing courses and and free lessons. So there's lots of things, lots of ways to learn now. Yeah, yeah. I don't think university probably is essential to go to. I didn't go to the university. I did a course. And then I learn on the side that I love photography and arts, painting, stuff like that. So it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, Luke, do you have any specific advice for those early in their journey? Um, I've got two things. Uh, it's just because I did the university speech <laughs> two weeks ago or something. Uh, so the the first thing is to be motivated. And I think it's, it's something that it's it's not the same as hardworking because I think there are lots of hardworking people that are new to the job and but the, the motivation is super important because when you when you get into the crunch time and movie making could be could be really tough and if you don't have the motivation if you don't have the passion it could very quickly burn you so being motivated is is a key to to be successful I think in in the movie business. And the other thing is to, that was mentioned, I think, by, by Simone or Charlie, but uh, learning, learning from your peers, always trying to learn new ways of doing things and, and listen to people that it doesn't matter if they're more experienced or less experienced. Sometimes good ideas can come from any direction. So yeah, always learn something. Great. Neil? From my side, it's, it's, it's like Luke said, motivation and dedication. It's, it, and, and don't take no for an answer is, is the other one. You know, you, you, every, everyone's going to get kickbacks. You know, you're going to go for a job interview. Uh, you might not get it, but, you know, don't give up. From special effects side of things, it's always good to get a trade. You know, if, you, if you're, you know, a plumber, electrician, uh, an engineer, a, a CAD designer, uh, you know, this, the thing with special effects is it, it covers many crafts, you know, painters even, you know, so it's just... You can get a trade, even driving forklift. You know, you come in with a forklift license. It's it's a big plus. Yeah. But I, I just love enthusiasm. I love somebody that comes in, youngsters that just 
I hate it when somebody, a youngster comes in and says, how much can I make? Because <laughs> it's about that. It's about, you know, you know, what can I learn? That that's somebody's like that and they're willing to learn, then uh, I'm, I'm willing to teach them. Great. Yeah. Love that. And to wrap things up, Simone? Well, everything that guy says, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They say most of it. Um, yeah. If, yeah, don't look. The side of the money is something on the side. It just, you know, you're doing this on for passion because you like it. And, uh, and it's just learning. It just, even just go to, you know, museum, theater, in museum, look at a picture and, and stuff like that. It helped me a lot on the, understand the lighting. So mm. it just, you know, pull yourself into it and, uh, you know, go out there and try to do something, as Charlie said. I used to just go take with my phone and just, you know, shooting things and rotoscoping them and just put things in the background just for fun. Yeah, love that. Well, thanks so much, all of you. I absolutely love the movie. I thought it was spectacular to watch. And um, many congratulations. And yeah, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much, Jimmy. Yeah. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Soundstage Insider podcast. My name's Jamie. Thanks, of course, to our amazing guests today, Charlie Henley, Luke Ewan Martin Fenelay, Simone Coco, and Neil Corbalt. You can find us on social media, Soundstage Insider, and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks so much. This has been an RPS audio production.